go to Shop Mr. C online store at www.thecreport.com, click on store on the top right menu, use coupon code 1776REBORN at checkout. afternoon, America. Good afternoon, Patriots. Good afternoon, fellow Texans. Let's see if I can get myself a little squared away here. Ladies and gentlemen, all right, there we go. How are you guys doing today? I hope all is well on your side of the screen and in your neck of the woods. And welcome to a, another edition of uh, Lone Star News, where we bring you Texas-centric news and current events. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am your host, Mr. C, also known as Michael Aaron Gossidis, and it's great to be here again with you guys this afternoon. Great to be here. Great to be here indeed. And, uh, well, we've got, uh, we've got a great, great show up ahead of you guys. We are continuing, we are continuing our foray, ladies and gentlemen, into, uh, into the, um, uh, into the Texas lawsuit. Texas lawsuit, the Texans lawsuit, ladies and gentlemen, against the state of Texas for the illegal proceedings of our elections in our state. And uh, if you guys were here in our last episode, we uh, were bringing you guys uh, the first part. We're going through the lawsuit, ladies and gentlemen, because let's face it, when you get down to it, when you get down to the bare bones of it all, uh, we Americans who are concerned about uh, what we can do to help our countrymen, what we can do to preserve our nation, what we can do to restore a republic, uh, sometimes we're wondering what is the next step that we can take? What is it that we can do? We can, uh, we can make sure we vote. We can make sure that uh, we participate in our local elections. You know, we can make sure that we contact, call, write, visit, speak to our so-called supposedly elected representatives. But what are the next steps shy of uh, getting our guns and going up to the Capitol, right? Because we're not going to take that route. If we were going to take that route, we would have done that a long time ago. Let's just be honest, right? At this point in time, uh, we're figuring out the next way in order for us to get to that level. And let me tell you what, that level, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly the path that some of our fellow Texans have taken. And oh, they've done it. They've done it in a pretty good number. 
So uh, if you did not get to catch the first part of this series, I would recommend you go back to the previous episode uh, because we are going through the lawsuit and uh, we are uh, basically uh, finding pathways into how we can move forward. Okay, uh, this is this is mainly for any and for all who want to know what their next moves could be and what they could do. And if they are already considering using litigation, which at this point is the path that we sh we really do need to take, uh, because after all, on paper, even we still live in a what a constitutional republic and Texas is what Texas is a republic. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the rule of law, the respect of law and the will of the people, and it's representational, you know? So that's what, that is the type of government that we are working in. So why not utilize the type of government that we are in, in order to reestablish, to reassert, and to resurrect our republic, ladies and gentlemen? Um, the uh, lawsuit that we're going through was filed, uh, it seems like more than uh, three dozen Texans uh, got in on this lawsuit. Uh, they put their names to it. It was filed pro se, which means it was filed of themselves without a lawyer. So, you know, I imagine the only, uh, the only real barrier between uh, this lawsuit moving forward or not would be one, uh, the cost of filing the lawsuit. With more than three dozen Texans filing this lawsuit, I'm pretty sure those expenses were minimized, right? I mean, I don't think I don't think just one of them paid for it, and I don't know that uh, anyone donated to their cause. In fact, you know, I don't even know the names of the Texans that filed this lawsuit because, after all, their names have all been redacted on the lawsuit, which is totally understandable because they need to stand protected. Now, with, I mean, obviously, for the purposes of this presentation, they are redacted, right? And then, of course, um, the, other, the other barrier, I would say, uh, between this lawsuit moving forward or not, is the actual, uh, the actual text of the lawsuit, okay? Uh, now, as you all may recall, if you were with us on the last episode of Lone Star News, this is probably one of the most thorough one of the most well-defined and worded lawsuits that I have read, at least in my time, and sharing information with my viewers over here at Mr. CTV, whether it's at the Sea Report or at Lone Star News or even at Sea in the Dark, which are the three shows that we do here at uh, Mr. CTV Broadcasts. But, ladies and gentlemen, you know, it, it really reminded me of the John Durham indictment on Michael Sussman. Now, you guys recall the John Durham indictment for Michael Sussman, as we went, we read that at the Sea Report when it was breaking, was, uh, was written in such a way that uh, it was, it was uh, what they called a speaking indictment. It left all of these avenues and all of these strings untied, but it, it, it showed us all that there was so much more to the story. It was thorough. It was, it was well-rounded. It was complete. It was one of those types of documents that you know just by reading the contents of its uh, body uh, that it's probably going to be studied in the future. 
ladies and gentlemen. It's it's going to be studied in law schools in uh, historic for historical context, etc. Um, the lawsuit that I that I am sharing with you all today, on behalf of other Texans who are bold enough, courageous enough, who wised up enough to know this is the next step we have to take. Okay. They, uh, it is, it is almost, I would say it's, it's on par with that. Um, it presented so many different avenues that, uh, I, in my opinion, of course, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not involved in any type of, uh, litigation or, or even, uh, you know, anything, anything that has to do with that field. But, uh, based on what I shared and what we've read, I would definitely say, uh, they, they put in every means to prevent, the courts from throwing it out. Indeed, uh, in in creating this lawsuit, it, it appears that they've already gone through the mill. You, they've addressed the uh, the DAs. They've addressed the Secretary of State. Uh, they've addressed uh, the governor. They've addressed the lieutenant governor. They've addressed their elected so-called representatives. You know, they've addressed their commissioners, and none of them were able to help them. So. In crying for redress, that is where we are today. So we're going to jump right into the body of this lawsuit. I'll do a quick refresher on what we covered in the last episode, uh, and then we'll we'll move along as far as we can into this lawsuit uh, before we run out of time. And, and again, just to keep in mind, this this is uh, this is to show Americans, not just Texans. But to show Americans as an example of what you could do, you know, because most of the time we learn from each other. You know, think about, again, like when we're talking about like Wisconsin and what they're doing for election integrity. Think about like Arizona and what they're doing for election integrity. Well, well, we learn from everyone else what we do. You know, Texas set a standard for decertification of the 2020 election when during their uh during the uh GOP uh, convention here uh we laid out our resolution for decertification and guess what after that we had counties in Wisconsin counties in South Carolina counties everywhere who basically copied the framework of our resolution and they uh put that into their own words uh, they, uh, you know, you, you even cut and paste and just change some names and change some uh, some um, uh, areas. And well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. And there's nothing wrong with that. So we all learn from each other. So this is another reason why we're going through this entire lawsuit. And also for the benefit of the Texas people, so they can understand exactly what it is that we are identifying as the illegal issues within our electoral system. Okay, so we're going to jump into that next. But before we do, I received a tip off from one of the viewers uh, about some activities that are taking place right here in the city of San Antonio. That's right. Uh, the Lone Star News, uh, Mr. CTV, the C reports based out of Texas, uh, specifically San Antonio, Texas. That's where I am. That's where I live. Uh, but received a tip-off from a reader uh, that this week um, the military, that's right, the United States military, is conducting military exercises in our city uh, as part of training 
and uh, we'll be doing live action exercises in downtown San Antonio. So I thought I would share that with you guys just real quick before we get into the lawsuit, because after all, uh, this is the kind of thing that, you know, we should probably have some eyes on. You know what I mean? You know, you know what happens when the military does drills, right? <laughs> uh, do I need to say 9-11? Uh, do I need to say the Boston bombing, right? So it's the kind of thing that we should have eyes on. So just real quick before we jump into uh, today's lawsuit. <laughs> Sounding like we're a school for litigation, right? The United States Army set to conduct training exercises this week near downtown San Antonio. This from the San Antonio Report. Article says... Low-flying helicopters, simulated gunfire, and controlled explosions may startle San Antonio residents in some areas, including downtown this week at the US Ar as the U.S. Army conducts military training. The military did not permit San Antonio officials to disclose exact locations of the training, but designated areas include downtown and central San Antonio, said Michelle Ramos, a spokeswoman for the San Antonio Police Department. Training is set to begin Monday evening at 7 p.m. and will last until 1 a.m. each night through Wednesday, according to Ramos. Residents may see activity as early as 6 p.m. to prepare for the training and activity as late as 3 a.m. as troops complete training, she said. However, the, San Antonio, uh, the city of San Antonio tweeted later on Monday afternoon that the training in the city would occur through Friday. The training will consist of air and ground mobility operations and close quarter combat training to enhance soldier skills by operating in a realistic environment, according to a press release from the San Antonio Police Department. Additionally, the use of local ground provides troops a unique training opportunity, according to the release, and will provide a simulated environment that troops could encounter when they're deployed. The training will not have direct contact with the community. However, residents may see or hear low-flying helicopters, simulated gunfire, and controlled explosions, said Ramos, the spokeswoman. Similar uh, military training in San Antonio has occurred twice before, Ramos said. Safety precautions will be in place to protect residents and to minimize impact to the community and private property with San Antonio Police Department officers working alongside the U.S. Army as the exercises take place, she said. The community should not be worried, said Ramos. San Antonio is Military City USA and has a long history and strong relationship with the military. Training offered off a military installation offers more realism and greater value. All right. So just wanted to share that note real quick because I know I have a handful of San Antonio listeners out there. And if you hadn't heard about it, well, you're like, why am I hearing gunshots in the distance, right? Uh, <laughs> that don't sound like an AK-47. Uh, so there you go, guys. I just want to share that with you guys real quick um, in case any of you all out there were wondering. And also just kind of to highlight the fact that these things they're going on, you know, and uh, yeah, uh, San Antonio is military city. What with like, uh, what, four air bases here? One of them, I think, is shut down or two of them. One of them, I think, is shut down and the other one is just not open. But I don't think it's shut down. I know we have at least two active and we have a whole bunch of other things going on here 
in the city of San Antonio. So, uh, yeah, well, there you go. There you go. If you guys hear about some kind of uh, crazy thing happening before Friday, uh, yeah, well, they were training in military. So uh, uh, the military here in the city of San Antonio. So uh, just a real quick word to the wise and just a real quick uh, address of that issue. Okay, y'all, let's jump into this lawsuit, because let me tell you what, we've got a lot of ground to cover. This might be a three-part series, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it for the knowledge of the listeners and the viewers. It's good to know, to learn, to understand, you know, where we need to go in this day and age. Since we are living in the day of the civilized revolution, don't forget, guys, we are at war right now. We are at war as we speak. It's irregular warfare. It's war unlike which we've ever experienced before. We are in uncharted territories, ladies and gentlemen. But we are not drawing our guns and our weapons. We are drawing our pens and our quills. And you know what? It seems like it should be that way at this point in time. We're not experiencing kinetic warfare, are we? No, we're not. And we should feel most fortunate that at this point in time, we are not. And we should understand that we have the chance before us to prevent it from getting to that way, okay? Now, obviously, you could say, well, you know, well, you know, uh, they may want to go ahead and take it that way. The deep state, the globalists, uh, the, the, the uh, transhumanist influences may want to go kinetic because, after all, they're already backed into a corner. They're already acting out in desperation. Just look at what happened to our president yesterday at his home in Mar-a-Lago. So great points indeed when they are backed up and in the corner and desperate and fighting for their life, struggling to maintain that breath of life. Well, we've got them on the ropes. And uh, I dare say this lawsuit that we're going to be sharing with you guys this afternoon is one of the reasons why they are on the ropes, okay? Now, as a quick refresher, we have Ruth R. Hughes, the fifth Secretary of State, sorry, yeah, Secretary of State under Greg Abbott. She is being sued. She was uh, in office during the 2020 elections, okay? So this is why Ruth's name made the lawsuit, okay? Uh, we have our current Secretary of State, that is John B. Scott. His name is also listed on the lawsuit. Uh, this is the man who is taking claim of, uh, who's taking, uh, who's taking, uh, taking claim for uh, the Texas forensic audit that is currently underway. Okay. Now, if you guys uh, have been paying attention for anything, we all know that the Texas forensic audit is a total sham. It's a total flim flam. It's not a forensic audit, but. Uh, they're going to expect that President Trump and the people of Texas can be easily bamboozled into believing that it is just because they acted so quick. Okay, so John B. Scott, sixth, uh, sixth Secretary of State under Greg Abbott, your name is on the list. And uh, let's not forget about this man. And if you are a Texan, let's not forget this face. This is Jose Esparza, Joe Esparza, the Deputy Secretary of State. This is the man who wrote the plan for the Texas Forensic Audit. This is the man who has been behind the entire bamboozlement of the Texas people. This man has been with Greg Abbott the entire time. 
We've had one deputy secretary of state for all terms served by Greg Abbott. We've had six secretaries of state for the entirety of Greg Abbott's governorship. That says something to you all, or at least it should. Per Texas election and co per Texas election code and the constitution, the Secretary of State is supposed to serve the same amount of years per term as the governor. Governor serves four years per term. Secretary of State serves four years per term. Governor Abbott's been in there for two terms. Well, why on earth has he had six secretaries of state? The Secretary of State office is broken in the state of Texas. It is a revolving door of placeholders and, uh, you know, just faces that uh, kind of do the outside work while Jose Esparza, Joe Esparza, has been pulling the strings from behind. Joe Esparza hangs out with the National Association of Secretaries of State. That's right. He's up there hanging up with uh, Secretary LaRose of Ohio. He's over there hanging out with Katie Hobbs, Secretary of State of Arizona. He's hanging out with Jenna Griswold, Secretary of State of Colorado. He's hanging out with all of them, ladies and gentlemen. He's hanging out with Maggie Toulouse Oliver of New Mexico. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Our Deputy Secretary of State, that's the man who's pulling the strings in the state of Texas, and he's hanging out with all the snakes and the vipers. So it needs to be uh, mentioned, and it needs to be addressed. And I'll say one more time before we dip into this lawsuit, Texas needs to be able to elect their Secretary of State. The office is appointed by the governor and approved by the Senate in Texas, and that just will not cut it for the people of Texas totally needs to be changed. It needs to be fixed. We need to be able to elect this office so we can hold this man accountable or anyone in that office for that matter. And they cannot get away with this broken system anymore in the state of Texas. All right. We got to figure that one out, y'all. We got to figure that one out. All right. Getting into the lawsuit. Okay. Just real quick refresher on what we covered in our last episode. Let me go ahead and bring this onto the screen a little bit bigger for you guys. Uh, this is uh, being represented in the Northern District of Texas. Here you can see all the plaintiffs. Like I said, it's more than three dozen Texans got together and put this lawsuit together, put their name to it, and they filed it, and it is underway. Um, and uh, when we're talking about our defendants... We're not just talking about uh, Ruth Hughes and Joe Esparza and, uh, you know, uh, what's his face over there? John Scott. They sued everyone and anyone who had anything to do with Texas elections at the state level and at the county level. Okay. Anyone and everyone who has anything to do with elections at the state level and in specific counties. Uh, for the list of those counties, we'll go ahead and look at this right here. Uh, now, this is the this is how this is the depth and the breadth of this lawsuit, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, the depth and the breadth of this lawsuit. Obviously, one of the Texans who put this together has experience in litigation, because this is, in my opinion, it's a very eloquent and masterful type of document. Okay. Pro says how they were uh, filed. So uh, let's see here. 
Um, for all this good word right here, I would recommend you go back to uh, our previous episode. I want to get you a list of the counties involved in this uh, in this uh, proceeding here. Let me see. Where do we have our counties at? Oh, did I pass them up? I passed them up. Counties, counties, counties. Did I really mess them up that far? Where are you at, guys? No, 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 they've got to be down here. There is a list of counties. Here we go. Here's a list of counties. So uh, the the the, uh, the counties involved in this lawsuit with every single election, whether you're a commissioner, okay, whether you're part of the election uh, commission or whatever, whatever you are in your county, if you deal with elections, like commissioner, commissioners have to certify the election for the county, for example, then you might have your, uh, your election board within your county, right? So all of those people are involved. Uh, for this lawsuit, including at the state level, at the county level, we have Hood County, Texas, Parker County, Texas, Comal County, Texas, Tarrant County, Bear County, Travis County, Hayes County, Montgomery County, Williamson County, Collin County, Denton County, and Harris County. So if any of you, if any of my listeners or viewers live within that those counties, uh, just know that your your area is involved in this lawsuit. Okay. All right. So uh, getting into this lawsuit, of course, we list out uh, our uh, plaintiffs, our defendants, what they've done. Also, uh, the jurisdictional er uh, information regarding why we have standing uh, to present this lawsuit and remain in the, uh, the court of law within the Northern District constitutional questions for the judge to consider as he gets into the text of this um, lawsuit. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we break into it, guys. And uh, there's so many well-stated like quotes and references and uh, precedence cases set in here. It's just, it's, it's a, it is such a well-written lawsuit. Um, and then we get into the factual allegations, what, they, uh, what, they, uh, what the state of Texas did to fail uh, the people of Texas and to uh, basically house illegal uh, elections. Uh, the first one that we, the first one they touched on was the accreditation failure. Okay. So if you guys remember about the lack of accreditation that the voting system testing laboratories, uh, that would be pro VND uh, and uh, CL SLI compliance, they were not accredited. Uh, so that means the machines were not certified. You guys should know that for a fact, especially if you've been a, a viewer or a listener, an audience member of the C Report. We've gone through this a few times. You've seen me lose some hair on hair over it live on screen uh, and just kind of like uh, totally lose it. Right. Because it's <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But um, let's go. And that's what the that's what we got. That's where we that as far as we got, ladies and gentlemen, that is as far as we got. Um, in the first episode, we covered the entire lack of accreditation and lack of certification of the voting machines, uh, which violates federal law. And also, more importantly, it violates Texas state election laws. So that one's the easiest one. They put that one first because obviously with all the documentation, which is provided to the judge, it's clearly easy to see that these were not legal elections. They 
they were quite unlawful. They should be nullified. And uh, well, that is where we stand. So let's get into the next portion of this lawsuit. Uh, this is Ill- Ill- illegality number two, right? The second law that was broken for Texas election laws. And uh, let's see what that is. You see how much that was? Boy, ladies and gentlemen, that's a lot right there, isn't it? Okay, here we go, y'all. Uh, next section would be election system and software ESNS voting system. So now what they're going to do is they're going to break down to the judge because we use two different types of voting machines here in Texas. We use uh, ES and S uh, voting systems, which is uh, election system and software. And we also use heart intercivic election voting uh, voting systems. Okay, so they're going to break down those two to the judge and how it broke the law in Texas for them to use these machines. Never mind the lack of certification, right? Never mind that the voting testing system laboratories were not accredited. Hmm? Okay, let's spill it out, ladies and gentlemen. It says here, election, actually, I want to expand this a little bit more. Poop. Poop. There we go. Don't mind my, uh, don't mind my sound effects, ladies and gentlemen. Election system and software voting systems is one of two voting systems utilized in the state of Texas. Election Assistance Commission investigated ES&S voting systems is an article published by whowhatwhy.org on March 8th, 2021, containing documents obtained from the Secretary of State that provides a detailed timeline of events leading up to the SOS certifying ES&S software systems for Texas use in the 2020 election and currently in use that were not legally certified by the EAC, the Election Assistance Commission, and had alarming issues. 40 days. 40 days before the 2020 election, the Election Assistance Commission quietly investigated concerns that ESNS's software installation and validation methods could have left touchscreen voting systems in up to 19 states vulnerable to installation of malicious or otherwise unapproved software. The investigation arose from a discovery by the Texas Secretary of State voting machine examiners that ES&S had used an uncertified USB stick method to install updates to software for versions of ExpressVote touchscreen. Software installed with this method did not match the software certified by the Elections Assistance Commission and failed hash validation testing. What is hash validation testing, you might ask? Hash validation testing is a mathematical algorithm that maps data generated from an installed copy and then compares that data to the algorithm of the software certified by the EAC. Now I understand hash validation, ladies and gentlemen. I had no idea what the heck that was. Thank you. Texas lawsuit, right? So uh, here's a little graphic of hash validation. Um, So uh, software or some string of text. So say you have like uh, like a string of text that makes up the algorithm. It goes through the hash function and then the resulting hash should produce the same result every time. And that's how they validate it. It is very, very complicated computer speak to me. 
but it's a little bit clearer than it used to be because I've heard of this, but I had no idea. So basically, it just makes sure that whatever software you're uploading matches the software that is certified by the EAC through this validation system. Okay. Now, according to this, um, according to this lawsuit, the software that was up used to update the ESNS voting systems failed the hash validation, which means the software did not match the brand new update. Okay, there, there's your proof. See, you know, all of this is so detailed. I, you know, I, I mean, I think even a judge who has no computing or technical expertise or understanding could understand that. Lawsuit continues. ESNS told Texas that this discrepancy was caused by a single benign image called the system upload, uh, system load BMP. Brain, I think they mean Brian. Brian Metchler, Texas examiner, states that this left the system vulnerable to an insider threat. September 23rd, 2020, more than a month of inter-office communications, um, Texas reported the issue to EAC. The EAC opened an investigation which expanded to include up to 18 other states and up to 35 versions of ExpressVote. The Election Assistance Commission never reported or referenced publicly the issue nor the investigation. On October 13, 2020, the Election Assistance Commission sent an email to officials in the affected states implying that it had resolved the issue by approving ESNS's stick installation method as a de minimis engineering change order. The Election Assistance Commission said they thought it had minimal effect and said its decision was based on the advice of SLI compliance and ProVNV. Keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, SLI compliance and ProVNV are the exact voting system testing laboratories that lacked accreditation in order to certify the machines, which means that these testing system laboratories had no right to lawfully certify those machines, and they probably had no right to uh, give advice on the decision the Election Assistance Commission made in regard to this violation of the hash test. The lab report shows only 19 versions out of the 35 affected versions were forensically analyzed for the stick method. The Election Assistance Commission forwarded to state officials and gave instructions for jurisdictions to distinguish between expected or benign mismatches and unexpected, possibly malicious ones. The Election Assistance Commission did not post the engineering change order to their website until February 11, 2021, which left the issue widely unnoticed and out of the public eye. Initially, the website stated that the change order was approved on February 11, 2021, and that it applied to 35 express vote versions. 16 more than the labs had analyzed before the 2020 election. The Election Assistance Commission quickly changed the website to reflect that the change order was instead granted in October for 19 systems. Other concerns arose from Texas examiners regarding ESNS hash verification scripts, 
for the election management systems, including a and these these concerns included a bug that caused it to incorrectly report a match under certain circumstances, and also that ES&S conduction hash validation tests itself as opposed to having the jurisdiction. Fox guarding the hen house situation. So uh, what they were concerned about is that ESNS conducted these hash validation tests itself. Okay. Not an outside auditor, not an independent. Okay. Um, despite these concerns, Texas certified ESNS's new system. The Election Assistance Commission has failed to publish the results of its investigation and or respond adequately to questions which has not been transparent. ESNS procedures and coding practices warrant further scrutiny, which travails and illustrates the risk associated with using touchscreens to do what a voter could easily do with a pen, mark, paper, ballots, a pen marked paper ballots. Hash, hash misuse, hash, hash mismatch due to uncertain installation method. Brian Meckler's Texas Examiner report for ESNS system version uh, 6.0.30 stated that when the examiners asked to run the express vote hash validation process, on the system in August of 2020, ES&S disclosed that it had two methods for that version. Full InnoBurn method matched ES&S's EAC certified software, thus passed the hash validation test. USB stick method did not match the EAC certified software due to what ES&S described as a single benign file called syslo.bmp thus resulting in a hash mismatch report, which Meckler's report called a hash verification failure. Meckler further reported, the fact that the failure occurs on only one file is of no comfort because it still opens a vulnerability to an insider threat. Keith Ingram, the director of elections, sent a letter to ES&S advising that our examiner noted that this issue could create a potential security vulnerability as a proper software valid validation could not occur. Sometime in early September, ES&S representative Susan Palmer told Chuck Pinney, an attorney for the Secretary of State, that the voting system test lab knew about the stick installation method and hash discrepancy when it tested EVS 6.0.20 and 6.0.30 for the election assistance communications certification and considers it a match if this is the only file that comes up as a mismatch during verification and acknowledged that it was not documented. Meckler sent an email to Penny stating that it was troubling that they were being asked to take ES&S at their word 
and that the Election Assistance Commission test labs said this is fine, expressing concern that ES&S may actually have hidden its stick installation method and resulting hash discrepancy during the prior examination and certification of a third system, 6.2.0, as it does not appear in any of the examiner's reports. Either this issue was not disclosed or exposed during the exam, or there is some nuance that I failed to understand. Meckler continues by adding that BMP files can be used to exploit systems. He also expressed concern that jurisdictions had no mechanisms to verify whether hash discrepancies resulting from stick installation were due to the expected BMP file mismatch or an unexpected one. Susan Palmer finishes her response by claiming any other modification to that file would also produce a mismatch and be flagged by the export process, providing the information needed to verify the file and detect an external attack. Mechler's response to Palmer's email but that is not true. There is already a mismatch, and if customers are being told to ignore it, there is nothing to be flagged. Another Texas examiner, Tom Watson, agreed with Meckler's original assessment via email to the Secretary of State's attorney. Meckler responded with strong verbiage. It's a gift-wrapped opportunity to an insider threat, however unlikely. Under the current guidance from ES&S, an insider now knows specifically which file is not being inspected. It's similar to a bank robber knowing that the camera covering teller number three is broken. As noted in September, ES&S admitted that the stick installation method was not presented to the EAC, the Election Assistance Commission, as part of certification. Whew, boy, you know what this means, ladies and gentlemen, is that our Secretary of State, who at this time would have been Ruth, H., Ruth R. Hughes, knew very well that there was a lot of shenanigans going on between the ESNS voting systems and the Election Assistance com uh, um, uh, Commission. They knew all of this was flying between the Secretary of State's attorney the ESNS and the EAC and 19 other states, not just Texas, ladies and gentlemen, not just Texas. So, man, the plot thickens. This is all the inside baseball that we as uh, voters do not get to hear about. This is all the inside baseball that we as Texans don't know about. So better you learn, ladies and gentlemen. Now, it says here, a draft letter approved by the Secretary of State on September 29, 2020, written by Executive Director of the Election Assistance Commission, Mona Harrington, suggests that ESNS voting systems may have misrepresented what the Voting System Testing Laboratory knew and said about the issue. The ESNS representative performing the installation during the examination used a method that was not tested by an EAC accredited voting system testing laboratory 
or certified by the Election Assistance Commission to install the software. When questioned by the Texas Secretary of State representatives, the representative claimed that the installation method was reviewed slash approved by the lab as part of their certification. Both SLI, SLI compliance being one of the voting system testing laboratories, and ProVNV, the second voting system testing laboratory, deny that they had reviewed this installation method as part of certification testing. On September 15th, one day before my birthday, 2020, Christina Atkins, the legal director for the Secretary of State, learned the uncertified installation method had been used in the field after all and sent an email to Parmer of ESNS stating that essentially what you've told us is that there are Texas customers who received software upgrades that failed the hash ver validation process and that you did not inform our office. This is very concerning and raises doubts about our ability to trust your team to report and address these issues with us. Emphasis added. So what this is telling me is that there were many people concerned about this all the way up to the Secretary of State's office. Yet, how is it that we continue to use ESNS voting systems and Heart InterCivic? One might wonder, let's see if this document, if this lawsuit discloses that information. Parmer tried to sway Atkins that the hash mismatch did not fail and therefore was never an issue to report. Her reasoning for the mismatch caused by a single benign file was prior knowledge by ES&S for the discrepancy and was expected. The hash validation process did not fail. On the contrary, the software did exactly what we expected it to do when a stick update is used on an Express Vote 1.0 and verified the sysload.bmp file was not present. This was the expected result and as such is considered a match. There has never been an issue to report and it is disheartening to think your team would doubt our integrity in this matter. The reasoning, this reasoning was unacceptable to Atkins. Atkins wrote, the only thing that the jurisdiction has to go on here is your word that this mismatch is the expected result. They have no way of knowing whether the mismatch occurred because it is the expected mismatch or because the mismatched file was somehow altered or manipulated. The hash verification process does not distinguish between expected mismatches and malicious mismatches. It simply identifies that a mismatch occurred. Regardless of whether ESNS considers this to be a successful hash verification and a successful match, our office does not consider that verification process to be successful under those conditions. Get them, Atkins. Go get them, Atkins. October 1, 2020, Harrington of the Election Assistance Commission sent a letter to the state election directors stating that initially we were under the impression that only EVS 6.0.2.0 systems, that's, that's the software, EVS 6.0.2.0, 
um, that uh, the systems in Texas were impacted. We are requesting information from ES&S to better understand the scope and to date have received information that the states listed in Table 1 have at least one jurisdiction that may be affected. In the state of Alabama, there are 105 units potentially affected. In the state of Arkansas, 2,072 voting machines affected. Arizona, 496 units. Washington, D.C., 102 units. Florida, 2,893 units. Idaho, 346. Indiana, 731. Kansas, 1,742. Kentucky, 400. Maryland, 3,501. Michigan, 548. Missouri, 538. Ohio, 168. Tennessee, 671. And in the state of Washington, 3. Wisconsin, 667 units, and Wyoming, 20 units. Now, you guys might be wondering why those numbers vary so much. Let's not forget, in states like uh, Wisconsin, in states like uh, Michigan, in states like Washington, they also use Dominion voting systems, uh, and they also use Heart InterCivic, and there's a few other voting, uh, voting systems that, they, that the individual states use. Uh, but for those those big numbers, that means that uh, they primarily use heart intercivic like Florida over 2000, 3000. That's insane, right? OK, so uh, bringing this back up. Uh, there's a graph for where they have the potential hash validation errors in the ESNS machines across the country. OK. Now, uh, the uh, um, text states, the letter further states that Table 2 displays all affected EDS voting systems in which 35 different EDS systems are listed. October 7th, 2020, Mona Harrington of the Election Assistance Commission emailed state officials with talking points in case of injuries. They stated as a remedial measure, the Election Assistance Commission had asked ESNS voting systems to submit all information and affected versions for forensic testing by the voting system testing laboratories. Again, the only two in the state uh, in the nation are SLI compliance and Pro VNV, and this was to see if they would qualify as a minor change. Harrington again emailed state officials a week later declaring both labs had completed all testing ahead of schedule and approved the stick installation method as a de minimis change. Harrington followed up a few days later with a change order approval from the Election Assistance Commission. Okay, so what I'm doing now on my side of the screen, y'all, because I don't know what this means, what is a de minimis change, okay? So let me see what this says here. De minimis. Uh-oh, SpaghettiO. Okay, there we go. There we go. My uh, computer froze for a minute. De minimis uh, of little importance or insignificant concerning things that are so minor as to be negligible, trivial, or trifling 
often used to describe exemptions in government rules and regulations. Okay, so that's that. Actually, that's a good that's a good thing to know because you know we as the American voter are sitting here wondering where exactly is the breakdown with these machines. In its entirety, you know, we know through the um, we know through the five reports on the Dominion voting machines where the breakdown is. Those things are basically created to be rigged, right? Ne- never mind the software and whether or not that software is valid through testing. Okay, um, so we know that about Dominion, but when we're talking about like ESNS and these other ones, where's the breakdown? Well, clearly the breakdown is in the software here. And clearly, the uh, the company itself, ESNS, is responsible for that breakdown. You know, I'm like, who's responsible here? Do I blame the Election Assistance Commission? Do I blame the actual voting system? Like, where do we get down to the actual, uh, the actual, you know, crime here? Right. Well, it would seem it's with ESNS up to this point because ESNS has this uh, has this uh, this uh, BMP file that they know is going to cause a mismatch when they're testing the software. And because they know it's expected, they expect their customers, our state of Texas, to say, oh, okay, there's a mismatch in the validation, but since you expected it, that means that we should be okay that it didn't pass the validation. No, that's so that's ridiculous. Why would anyone do that? Why would anyone even think that that logic would be okay with those who are using their software. Well, now the blame is going to shift back to the Election Assistance Commission because apparently the Election Assistance Commission said that using the thumb, and it's only through the thumbstick installation, right, that this mismatch occurs. So the Election Assistance Commission says, well, you know what? It's trivial. It's trifling. It shouldn't matter. This is a de minimis type of situation here and uh we'll just run with it so now the ball goes into the election assistance commission's court and that is infuriating to be honest with you it's infuriating um getting back into the lawsuit buried in sli's report on page 18 now keep in mind keep in mind oh oh, oh wait let me take that back let me take that back okay I said the ball is in the court of the Election Assistance Commission, okay? Here's the reason why. The Election Assistance Commission turned that software over to the only two voting system testing laboratories authorized in the nation, ProVNV and SLI Compliance. And they are the ones who gave the go-ahead to view this violation, this unvalidation, this lack of passing in the test as a de minimis change. Okay, so the voting system testing laboratories, SLI and ProVNV told the EAC, eh, it's trifling, don't worry about it, it's okay, okay? And then EAC went ahead and they moved forward with um, authorizing this, okay? So, buried in SLI's report on page 18 as is an instruction for jurisdictions using the stick installation method. SLI states that in the event of a hash mismatch, the jurisdiction must verify that the sysload.bmp files hash codes match the corresponding hash codes listed in Table 1. If the hash mismatch installation may continue, 
if the hashes don't match, the jurisdiction must follow ESNS's recommendations and perform a production image installation on the device. Harrington did forward the lab reports in her emails on October 15, 2020, but only stated, as promised, attached are the final lab reports and nothing, she said nothing, about the instructions for jurisdictions. The day before, she stated that the labs had approved the de minimis finding and the Election Assistance Commission had concurred and that she would be sending the reports nothing beyond that. State officials were left to find the buried instructions provided by SLI and in turn specify these instructions to the jurisdictions. ESNS's uncertified installation method and resulting hash discrepancy were effectively buried. So nobody knew to look for the mismatch and nobody knew what to do in the event of the mismatch. The EAC, the Election Assistance Commission, did not post the change order to its website until February 2021. The Secretary of State extending the deadline for examiners to submit reports for the system where the issue came up until after the election and gave ESNS permission to withdraw its certification request for the system. Withdrawing its certification provided the Secretary of State's office the avenue to not have to publish these reports on their website. Secretary of State's office told the examiners that in light of the withdrawal, the Attorney General's examiners need to submit their reports to the Secretary of State, uh, do not need to uh, support, uh, sorry, do not need to submit their reports to the Secretary of State's office at all. None of the reports had to say whether the examiners would have recommended the certification of these systems. Per the Secretary of State's request, ESNS did not use a full InnoBurn installation on all Texas counties that ESNS had stated were impacted by the mismatch issue, issue the stick installation. November 8, 2020, after the 2020 election, Atkins emailed Meckler scheduling a meeting with ESNS in December to discuss the scope of this stick installation and hash mismatch issue as it appears to have affected more systems than they initially disclosed to us. Meckler wrote in his report on November 19, 2020, it is unclear at this time whether there are more affected systems in Texas than initially disclosed by the ES&S voting systems. That's, uh, that's pretty heavy right there, ladies and gentlemen. Pretty heavy, pretty crazy. And uh, again, we can see exactly how a lot of this breaks down for our state, okay? So um, let's go ahead and uh, we're going to finish with ESNS voting systems, okay? I've, I've voted on an ESNS, right? That's the kind of machine that I vote on personally. I've seen it. I remember... That's what, what I use, at least in my, in my precinct and in, in my county, okay? So uh, we'll, wa we'll wrap up with ESNS, ladies and gentlemen, for this afternoon. Um, and uh, we'll pick up with Heart InterCivic in our next episode, you know? This is going to be, this, this is, uh, 
I don't know, this information is just so invaluable, ladies and gentlemen. It's priceless to have. And uh, I bet it's a fun listen for the podcast version of the show. I know you I know you guys out there in the uh, live stream version of the show. I appreciate you all hanging out because uh, we just looking at text, right? I'm not doing like any fun videos or stuff, but this is crucial. This is crucial, you know, and uh, those who really care are present for this type of information. Okay, so here this uh, section of the lawsuit talks about the bugs that are found in the ESNS hash verification script. Get your Mr. C swag. Mr. C and the C Report mugs, shirts, swimwear, tank tops, men's, women's, children, stationery, home goods, apparel, support, and promote America First with the C Report. Go to Shop Mr. C online store at www.com thecreport.com click on store on the top right menu use coupon code 1776reborn at checkout we're almost at the finish line for this afternoon okay so the bugs in ESNS and hash verification script. Meckler's report explains that the hash validation method included a bug in ESNS's hash verification script as two USB thumb drives were required to complete and needed to match, one with the export data being verified and one with the scripts and hash file. Meckler neglected to include in his report to add the hash file for the certified version of the software, yet the software still reported as a match. Meckler wrote, while working through the hash validation process, I initially overlooked the instruction to add the trusted hash file to the scripting media. Despite the missing trusted hash file, the verification script erroneously reported that the exported hashes matched the trusted certified hashes. In my opinion, this bug, in addition to the overall process, indicates that ES&S has not developed their hash verification with sufficient care, quality assurance, and concern for usability. ES&S conducting its own hash validation tests. Parmer of ES&S mentioned in an email to Penny, Penny being the Secretary of State's lawyer, that ESNS technicians were conducting the hash validation tests themselves, not the jurisdictions conducting them. This posed a red flag as the purpose of the hash validation is to ensure the vendor is not giving the customers something different than what is certified by the Election Assistance Commission and the Secretary of State's office. As Atkins explained to Parmer in an email, if the hash validation process is performed by the same vendor technician who performed the installation, then that validation process loses one of its major purposes, which is to keep the vendor honest. One Secretary of State examiner, Brandon Hurley, to Atkins via email states, it is the ultimate fox watching the henhouse scenario. It is them, ESNS, self-certifying systems for use. 
Jurisdictions should always perform this process themselves, Meckler wrote in his reports. To have the vendor, ESNS, perform a required component of acceptance testing creates, at best, a conflict of interest. Freedom to Tinker reported one ESNS contract in Collin County, Texas, expressly requires the customer to use ESNSs for hash validation testing. Below is the provision. In the event the customer declines ESNS's installation and acceptance testing services, all warranties shall be void and of no further force or effect. General terms. 7b. Under uh, Eddie Perez, an election technology expert with Onset Institute, calls this type of contract provision unconscionable. Eddie Perez says, I find the issue of acceptance testing far more maddening. I have known for years that ESNS often does acceptance testing for the customers, which is totally inappropriate, and has the gall to charge the customers for that service, which is unacceptably mercenary. But voiding warranty is unconscionable. Forcing customers to permit the vendor to do acceptance testing <clears throat> is, like burying, is like buying a new home and before closing, the before closing, the seller says, you don't need a final walkthrough. Just trust me. And then voiding the warranty if they don't agree, that is unethical and strong-arming at worst. Texas decides to certify 6.1.1.0 despite hash validation concerns. The Texas Election Code states that a voting system may not be used in an election unless the system is safe from fraudulent or unauthorized manipulation. Meckler's assertion that the hash verification process has been a growing issue of concern over the past few certification exams, he and other examiners still recommended certifying EDS 6.1.1.0. Ironically, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton publicly assailed Dominion voting but ignored our own state's uses of ES and S. Texans take note. This is how they do it in Texas. You see, this is how they do it in Texas. They will make an issue out of something that is publicly and nationally known, but they will totally keep the wrap covered on the stuff that we don't recognize. You see, this is how, this is how Texas rhinos have gotten so far in life. This is how Texas rhinos have bamboozled Texans, not just over voting and election issues, but in toto, in mass, over everything. Okay? This is why we cannot have career politicians. Paxton, you used to be beautiful. All right, guys, that wraps it up. Next up is uh, Heart InterCivic, but we will talk about that on the following issue of Lone Star News. God, this is going to be like a five-part series, probably. 
<laughs> but man, uh, this is important to note, ladies and gentlemen. You know what they say? Nobody reads nowadays, right? No one likes to read. No one prefers. I mean, it, it, people just don't like to read. Well, you know what? I will read it for you here at Lone Star News and the C Report, Mr. CTV. You know, uh, the motto of my publishing company is read a book, damn it. Okay, so <laughs> I will read it for you guys. And uh, I'm glad that you all are here at least with the ears to hear it, if not the eyes to read it. I'm not going to complain about it. I like to read. So, uh, but this is interesting information. We cannot get to, who can explain this to us, right? Who can explain this to us if we do not read it for ourselves? And uh, that's, that's my, it is my absolute pleasure to do it for you guys. Okay. And I'm not saying I'm doing it for you guys because you're uh, what lazy or you don't like to read. I'm saying I'm doing it for you guys because no one knew this information. No one else is reporting on this stuff except for the people who filed the lawsuit themselves. And God bless them for doing it because that puts Texas uh, in a position to really fight for our state and for our elections. And at least now we know, ladies and gentlemen, as audience members of Lone Star News and Mr. CTV and the podcast, because this is going on the podcast also, at least now we know what they done did in the Lone Star State that failed Texans and was unlawful and was uh, a violation of our state constitution and our uh, national constitution. All right, guys, that wraps it up for this edition of Lone Star News. We'll be back on Friday with the next installment of the Texas lawsuit against the state for illegal elections. And uh, we'll be back at 7.30 p.m. for the next installment of The Sea Report right here on this very channel that you are watching, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. CTV, whether you are live with us at thefoxhole.atpill.net, Rumble, Twitch, or Trovo, or Clout Hub, thank you for joining me this afternoon as we went through this lawsuit. And, uh, well... We will see you later on. Make sure you come on back over at 7.30 p.m. for the C Report. This is Mr. C signing out. Have a great afternoon. Have a great evening. Until then. Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the C report. Your support 
is greatly appreciated. From $0.99 per month to $4.99 per month to $9.99 per month, every donation counts and every bit helps. Show your support for The Sea Report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm slash The Sea Report. And thanks, y'all. Let's talk about Georgia. Uh, President Trump truthed about this earlier. Ballot images missing, right? Drop boxes with no video. And Disney's like, well, we don't care about that. We're going to die on this hill. We're going to be gay and we're going to rape our children no matter what you say because we are Disney. Uh, we don't normally run see in the dark uh, during the week. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, what the heck is this bald band talking about? Uh, you know, multiple broadcasts and shows come here on Mr. CTV channel. Uh, so you've got your C report Monday through Friday in the evening hours, right? And uh, we do see in the dark, which is a late night weekend talk show kind of, you know, broadcast, right? So guys, watch out. We got a swamp creature coming to the screen. So look out now. Look out now. <laughs> oh no, it's wretched Gretchen Whitmer.